My old friend's family has a vacation house on the Hood Canal of the Pudget Sound. It is out in the wilderness with 70-plus acres of land. Only other residents are some cousins, friends, and the landlord. Anyways, me and my friend were driving his ATV through the forest. We looked over and saw a tall black humanoid creature running at the same speed as us. But we were going over 40 miles per hour, and by tall I mean like 10 feet tall. It then started crawling, and then disappeared into the trees, and it wasn't just our imaginations, we both saw it. After some frantic driving we eventually stopped and stepped off, listening to the forest, and we could hear heavy footsteps and branches cracking, and we returned to the ATV just to find that it ran out of fuel. We had to call his dad to pick us up in his truck, and we were luckily fine. I also learned from his dad a story that before the new house was built, an old cabin was there prior. Back in the 1950s, an old man lived there, and he was a lumberjack. He was a stereotypical, get-off-my-lawn old angry man. One day, some teens who lived in another house, now where one of my friend's cousins has a house came to his property, and when the man yelled at them to go home, they mocked him. This lead the man to grab his shotgun and shoot at them and wound one of the kids in the hand. He got put into jail but was released. He then later disappeared out in the forest. Nobody knows where he went. He either got crushed by a tree he cut down or something much worse happened to him out there. My friend tells me stories all the time about things he sees out there. His own regular house back in the city is also haunted. It's a mansion built in 99, and even myself has experienced many wild things there like figures and voices. Also his whole family tells how they hear things falling over upstairs when alone sometimes. It's been about 10 years ago now, but I was a college professor at a local university in my area. This was a college for an accelerated program. People were generally in cohorts that took one to three years to complete. Generally classes met once a week for four hours. This specific class was during the winter months, so it was getting dark about the time this class started and it ended at 11 p.m. There had never been anything peculiar happening when I would leave, and often I was the last one there because my class ended the latest. One night I had to stay and do grades for the end of the semester, and as I was walking to my car, I noticed a woman running towards me from the other side of the parking lot. I was already in my car by the time I noticed she was getting closer and closer to me, but I wasn't able to get the car started and drive away by the time she got to me. She closed the distance between us incredibly fast. She was yelling, but I couldn't understand what she was saying. She didn't have on much as it looked like she was wearing biker shorts that hid above the knee, a tight-fitting tank top, and flip-flops. It was an unseasonably warm January, but it still wasn't warm outside. I barely cracked the window so I could ask if she was okay. I would never have forgiven myself if I drove away, and she was actually in distress and needed help. 
She kept telling me that she needed a ride to the gas station. I was not letting her in my car. I told her I wasn't able to give her a ride. She then put her hand into the crack in the window, but it wasn't enough for her to get her whole hand in. I told her to leave and that I was driving off. She did stood in front of my car with her hands on the hood and was refusing to let me drive. I was genuinely concerned that maybe someone was after her, but I started to get very uncomfortable and got a very eerie feeling about this point in the interaction. She started telling me that she just needed cigarettes and didn't understand why I couldn't give her a ride. I told her I was unable to do that and that I was going to call the police and I was going to drive away. I'm not exactly sure how I maneuvered my car and I was able to reverse from where she was standing and then I was able to make a very fast U-turn and leave the parking lot. I did call the police department and reported this entire situation, but I'm sure the woman was gone by the time the police arrived. Every now and then I find myself thinking back to this night and trying to understand what was actually happening. Was she trying to rob me? Was she actually in danger? It's like she came out of nowhere from the woods behind campus. It's always bothered me. I'm grateful that I'm safe. But it was just such a strange, unexpected interaction that left me very creeped out. I've got something pretty freaky. Last summer in Alaska, a buddy of mine was on a fly fishing trip. He is one of my good friends very honest, big conservationist, and sort of innocent in his demeanor. He wouldn't hurt a fly. Just an all-around great guy. Anyway, he is camping in the backcountry as he is rafting his way down the river back to town. On his raft and camping with him were two girls and one other guy. So one night on this trip, they are camping and hanging out at the fire and pretty close to going to sleep. So they are working on putting the fire out. At this point, everyone at camp saw the silhouette of a stocky man and a dog. From what my friend says, this man starts mumbling at them, and they can't tell what he's saying. He is about 20 feet away from my buddy and his camp mates. My friend and the other guy go to confront him. He seemed like he was in a panic, and my friend said there was definitely something wrong with him mentally. He starts talking about how he is a messenger from God, and how he had the solution. No one knew what he was talking about. He ends up walking his way back to the campsite, to the dismay of the group. The girls are obviously freaked out and scared, and told my friend he needed to leave. Something about him just felt wrong and troublesome. My friend said his dog was nice, but again, this stranger starts talking about how he is a disciple from God. Then, he pulled out a gaming laptop and started showing my friend some code he wrote, but didn't pay too much attention to. He mentioned, to me that the stranger isn't aggressive, just off-putting. It's worth noting, he only had a small backpack and no serious outdoor gear. He told my friend that he wanders the woods and occasionally heads into town. So eventually, they convince him to leave camp, telling the stranger they were going to bed. 
he agrees to leave. But three hours later, they hear something outside the tent that sounds like a man yelling Yauho. And they come outside to find the campfire roaring again. The whole group stayed up the rest of the night with their bear spray and continued the camping trip downstream the next morning. Every time my friend has told me this story, he is visibly disturbed. My friend still wonders what he was doing out there with only a dog, no gear, and miles into the woods. My boyfriend and I frequently go camping together. The summer of 2016 was when this encounter took place. We had set up camp in a little site along a trucking road. It was about 40 minutes outside of a smaller town in the area, and only had two campsites in this location. We chose the first site, which had a bit of a dirt hill to drive down, but the actual site was shaped into a circle. The other site was within view, but far enough away, and surrounded by enough trees that you couldn't really see people in it. Only tents and RVS. We noticed that the other site had an RV in it, but it's a relatively common spot, and it was a weekend so this was common. When the sun went down we were sitting around the fire, probably around 11pm, when we hear some ATVS in the distance. This is a little weird because typically people ride them during the day, but not really concerning. However, then we see the headlights get closer and closer. Two ATVS drive into our sight. And at this point, we're a little creeped out because it's pitch black, we're all alone, and in a no-service area. Two men get off the ATVS and walk towards us. I should mention that my boyfriend and I were 19 and 20 at the time, and these men are big. They come up and try holding just casual conversation, talking about how they're at the site beside us and wanted to introduce themselves. This is still a little concerning as who introduces themselves this late at night. They continue to talk to us for probably 20 minutes before my boyfriend starts saying how we're running out of firewood and probably going to head to bed soon in an effort to get them to leave. They then start talking about how they'll bring their own firewood over and bring us some drinks. We try saying we're really tired, but they insist and leave the site. So my boyfriend, and I quickly start trying to pack up the site and make it seem as though we really did go to bed. We did hear the ATVS later on that night passing by our site, but we didn't get out of our tent to check. Overall it seems really mild, but it really freaked us out just being alone in the woods with these two bigger men. The whole situation was just really off. Air Force former active duty and current reservist here. I was deployed to Encirlik A, B, Turkey recently back in October 2016. I worked the overnight shift so on my day off, I would typically go to the bowling alley, USO do laundry late at night, basically just find things to stay awake as long as I could so I didn't mess up my sleep schedule. Sometimes they would cut power to the entire base around 1-2M. We never got a warning when it would happen, but everyone was used to it, and it would come back up around 5-10 minutes later. 
One night on my day off, I was out by our tins basically the shitty trailers that we stay in, where they pack like eight airmen to a room meant for two. I think maybe I was trying to call my wife or just outside doing nothing killing time. All of the sudden, the power goes out completely. It's around 2 a.m. No street lights, no lights coming from buildings. It is pitch black on the entire base. I figure after 5-10 minutes, it would come back, so I'm waiting. After about 5 minutes, I hear security forces military police vehicles with their sirens racing up and down the streets. Still, I'm like, okay, maybe an exercise or coincidence or something. 20 more minutes go by, still pitch black. A steady flurry of police cars still zooming up and down the streets. My buddy and co-worker comes out of his tin, telling me that a few of his roommates are security forces and their radios were going off with calls and that they had awoken and thrown on their uniforms and left the room. Keep in mind, this is only a few months after the coup happened, so everyone was on high alert and suspicion and many of the people there at the time, not me, were present for the coup. So to keep with the story, me and my buddy are standing outside in the pitch black of night, police cruisers racing up and down the street, and it's now been an hour. We were worried the base may be under attack. In Serlik A, B is near Adana, Turkey, less than 100 miles from Aleppo and the Syrian border, and ISIS is obviously a big threat. Beyond that, we thought it could be another coup attempt by the Turkish people. So finally after about two hours of standing outside, unable to see anything, power finally comes back. We never got word about why that happened, or why the police cruisers were racing up and down the base. Could have been a power test slash routine shutdown gone bad. Could have been a coincidence with police cars. Who knows? We never found out what happened or why. During the last round of mutual F between Israel and Gaza, we took hold of a house in a city in the north of the Gaza Strip. One day we see a light gray, nearly white donkey with a foal coming towards us. After a quick discussion with the commanders, it was decided that we should open fire in fear that Hamas might have planted a bomb in the donkey's stomach. So we shoot, pretty sure we hit it a few times, and they both ran away and did not return. So far not that weird, right? When we were done in that hellhole, and I came back home, I talked to my friend from another unit, and casually brought the donkey story up. He said they had the exact same experience down to the color of the donkey, checked up with friends from various units. Sure enough, nearly everyone had the same experience, even ones that were much farther away. This encounter took place on Fort Carson, Colorado Gunnery Range, in the fall of 1991. I grew up an Air Force brat who had been just about everywhere. I joined the U.S. Army out of high school, and I have my proud career to hang my hat on. That being said, it's taken me many, many years to have the guts to share this story. I have been haunted ever since. It still makes me shake to the core reliving that night. 
Our squadron was out in the field preparing for the qualification of the M1 tank and Bradley fighting vehicle crews. We called this gunnery downrange Fort Carson a scrub brush, which is an untouched landscape with a view of the Rocky Mountain Front Range that is simply beautiful. Towards the end of qualification, it is about 1.30 a.m. and the tank and Bradley crews were appearing to road march back to camp. The road back to camp was a well-groomed dirt road with very deep ditches on either side due to the heavy rainfall. Our team was back in the barracks awaiting the crews as we were to go to them if their vehicles had an issue or breakdowns. Nearly everyone in the barracks was laying on their cots, either sleeping or playing bones by the stove, as it was a chilly night. The head NCO is playing bones and listening to the radio traffic. He shouted out they were on their way back in. People start to stir and move around trying to wake up just in case they needed us. I was laying on the end of my cot with my feet on the floor. I had my beanie pulled down over my face to block the light. I was fully awake. The radio is directly across from me. Suddenly, over the radio, our co gave orders to start the road march back to camp. The radio crackled and conversations began to take place. The first crews to road march back out were the Bradley fighting vehicle teams. The first Bradley had a ground guide out front. Everyone was wearing night vision goggles, and they were using blackout lights to guide their way. Without warning one of the drivers shouted, Hey, what the hell is that? I know the voice came over the radio. I don't know another voice. We need to stop. We need to stop. The CEO came over the radio and wanted to know what was going on up there. Another voice. Sir, we need to stop. Just then I recognized our EXO telling the CEO, We need to stop the convoy now, sir. Meanwhile, at the same time, everyone back in the barracks was now standing next to the radio and listening to what was going on and staring at each other with amazement. The CO gave the order to the lead Bradley to come to a full stop and halt the convoy. Keep in mind, while all this was taking place, the first and second Bradley crews were staring at a bipedal dark figure standing on the road looking over his shoulder at them at about 50 feet away. I mentioned the deep ditches. It was said by several crew members that this figure stepped out of the ditch with ease and began to walk in the middle of the road in front of the convoy. This bipedal creature had no care in the world that the crews or the vehicles were there. It's just standing there. By the time the CEO got to the front of the convoy to see what was going on, he had a hell of a mess on his hands. The radio chatter exploded into yells and F-bombs. People telling the ground guy to run and jump up on the top of the turret for safety. The EXO shouting to everyone over the radio to calm down and get their shit together. The first ground guide stated that in his night vision goggles, when this creature stepped out of the ditch and onto the road, the creature's eyes were glowing like green fire and standing before him. It was like having an out-of-body experience. The remaining crew had no idea what was going on up front. They could not really get a good look. 
But the first three Bradleys got to see everything. All the crews heard everything. And in the third Bradley was the EXO. He was a former state trooper. A solid no BS kind of guy who was standing through the turret hatch. He saw everything. As the CEO was making his way up the road to the front of the convoy, the creature turned and calmly walked to the other side of the road and disappeared into the ditch. The CEO was met by the EXO and the ground guide who told him what had happened. You could hear the conversation going back and forth through the ground guide's mic. Tensions were high. Soon the convoy was underway again. About 30 minutes later the door burst open in our barracks, and the crews started pouring in. They're excited and shouting at us. Did you hear what happened? The first ground guide was pushed to the front of the crowd and was asked to tell us what had happened, in a military kind of way, if you know what I mean. Suddenly the CEO came through the door. Someone yelled, Attention! He made his way through the crowd to the center of the room and stated, You didn't see anything. None of this happened. And if I hear of any chatter about it tonight, you will answer to me. Do you understand? Everyone yelled, Yes, sir. The next morning were all spent from the night before. No one got any sleep, and to make things worse, in came the Blackhawks and men in suits with the base commander. They spoke to certain people, and the incident was soon put behind us. The most common thread amongst the eyewitnesses was that the Sasquatch seemed to not really care about the chaos on the road that night. It never ran or seemed to be scared. The way it stood there and stared at them, eyes glowing, is what freaked everyone out. I had always been a skeptic. Growing up, I scoffed at the idea of UFOs, laughed at ghost stories, and rolled my eyes at conspiracy theories. It was no surprise to anyone when I joined the police force, determined to bring some rationality to a world filled with wild tales and unexplained phenomena. My early days as a rookie cop were filled with mundane assignments, routine traffic stops, and the occasional domestic disturbance call. But everything changed when I received a call that would take me deep into the heart of the unknown. It was a crisp autumn morning when the call came in. I was stationed at the local police precinct, sipping on lukewarm coffee and trying to stay awake during yet another endless paperwork session. The voice on the other end of the radio belonged to Ranger Stevens, the head of a nearby national forest. He sounded anxious and out of breath as he relayed the message. We need assistance, he said, his voice trembling. We've found something, something we can't explain. I exchanged bewildered glances with my fellow officers as I responded. We're on our way, Ranger Stevens. What's the situation? The answer was cryptic. Just get here as soon as you can. It's in the deep woods. We piled into a jeep, myself, and three other officers. The atmosphere in the vehicle was tense, our curiosity piqued by Ranger Stevens' unusual distress. We drove in silence, the dense forest canopy casting eerie shadows across the winding road. 
As we arrived at the designated spot, we spotted Ranger Stevens and two of his colleagues standing beside a massive black cadaver bag. The air was heavy with an unsettling stillness. I couldn't help but notice the bewildered expressions on their faces as they clutched the bag's handles. We approached cautiously, my heart pounding in my chest as I tried to prepare myself for whatever was inside that bag. Ranger Stevens, his face drained of color, finally spoke. We found this thing deep in the woods. It's not an animal. We don't know what it is. My fellow officers and I exchanged concerned glances before one of my colleagues, Officer Ramirez, asked. What do you mean, not an animal? What is it? Ranger Stevens hesitated for a moment, his voice barely above a whisper. It looks like, like Bigfoot, but it has the face of a werewolf and brown skin. We don't know how to explain it. The words hung in the air like a chilling fog. None of us knew how to react. It sounded like the ramblings of a lunatic or the plot of a B-grade horror movie. Before we could press for more answers, the sound of approaching rotor blades shattered the silence. A black helicopter descended from the sky, and the emblem of the CIA was unmistakable. Out stepped a group of operatives, dressed in all-black tactical gear. One of them, a stern-faced man with a shaved head, approached us. Step aside, officers, he ordered, his tone brooking no argument. We'll take it from here. We watched in a mix of awe and confusion as the CIA operatives carefully loaded the massive cadaver bag onto their chopper. The bag was secured with heavy chains, as though whatever was inside posed a significant threat. As the helicopter rose into the sky and disappeared among the treetops, I turned to my fellow officers. We were all stunned, our disbelief and curiosity matched only by the profound uncertainty of what we had just witnessed. In the days and weeks that followed, the incident in the deep woods became a whispered legend among us. We never received any official explanation, and the CIA operatives had vanished as mysteriously as they had arrived. I found myself questioning everything I had once believed about the world, realizing that there were mysteries out there that defied explanation. I may have started my career as a skeptic, but that day in the National Forest had shown me that the world was a far stranger and more enigmatic place than I had ever imagined. And as I continued my work in the police force, I couldn't help but wonder what other secrets it might hold. I was just 20 years old when this extraordinary incident occurred, right here in Sao Paulo State, Brazil. It was the year to me 17, and my friend Thiago invited me to spend a day at his father's place, located just outside Jacutinga, MG. Excited for a new adventure, I accepted his invitation, and together we embarked on an unforgettable journey. We arrived at Thiago's father's house on a beautiful Saturday morning. The day unfolded splendidly filled with laughter, good food, and enjoyable activities. We relished a mouth-watering barbecue, took refreshing swims, savored delicious fruits, 
and engaged in meaningful conversations. Later in the day, we even lent a helping hand to Thiago's father as he pruned some trees. It was a truly enjoyable and bonding experience. As the sun began to set and darkness veiled the surroundings, around 8 p.m., Thiago's father requested that we leave. With his old-fashioned Furino pickup truck, we embarked on our journey back. Thiago and I settled in the bucket seats, with our backs to the rear window, gazing backward as the truck moved along. We had covered about a kilometer when Thiago's father slowed down to pass through a tunnel. Suddenly, we noticed a towering black figure rapidly approaching from behind. Initially, I thought it was a large dog, its eyes gleaming in the darkness. In that moment, confusion and fear engulfed us, and we exchanged bewildered comments about the mysterious creature. It stood on the precipice, resembling a person, gazing intently in our direction from a distance of approximately 40 to 50 meters. The encounter left us utterly terrified and perplexed. As we locked eyes with the creature, it swiftly shifted back onto all fours and descended the ravine, heading towards the road. It reached the roadside with remarkable speed, bounding across the entire width of the road and leaping into the opposite ravine. Thiago exclaimed, that's a werewolf. To our astonishment, the werewolf continued to pursue us, mirroring our path through the woods. Leaves and branches were sent flying. The snapping of twigs resonated through the air, and we glimpsed the creature maneuvering effortlessly among the trees. Thiago urged his father to accelerate, revealing that something was relentlessly tailing us. The father inquired, What is it? To which Thiago responded, I think it's a werewolf. Finally, we arrived at a river and crossed a narrow bridge. Strangely, the werewolf did not follow us across the river, but remained on the riverbank, steadfastly watching our departure until it disappeared from sight at the bend in the road. This encounter shattered my disbelief in the existence of werewolves, despite hearing stories from my parents and grandparents. From that day forward, I have been apprehensive about venturing into the countryside at night, harboring a newfound respect for the unknown. The memory that etched itself most deeply in my mind was the creature's astounding leap, effortlessly traversing the road from one side to the other. Reflecting on the incident, I realized that had it not been for the river, that ferocious werewolf might have pounced onto the Fiorino Uno, eager to seize us. Now I cautiously avoid nighttime journeys to the countryside, mindful of the cryptids and mythical creatures that may lurk beyond the safety of the city's embrace. In Thailand, we have a territorial defense force where it's pretty much the national reserves. Most do it to get away from the draft though. This event happened last year during my first time at the camp. So we are at a three-day camp at the training base in Kanchanaburi province called Keochonkai, literally translating to Chicken Crash Mountain. They say it used to be a battlefield where the Siamese and the Burmese clash all the time centuries ago, and that it's haunted as f. On either the first or the second night, 
I couldn't remember I was picked for the graveyard shift duty. 1 a.m. 3 a.m. to patrol around our sleeping quarters. Others had a stationary place to guard. The front entrance, back entrance, toilets, armory, etc. Me and my partner walked around the camping grounds around three times and both agreed that we should sit down and rest for a while. We went to sit at the front entrance, which was just a paved road with the other side being a dense forest with a small walkway that would lead to a restaurant area around 200 meters away to its right. Just so you know the camping grounds were surrounded by dense forests, which we call Pacha Slow Jungle, which are always places where supernatural stuff reside and scary as hell, because they're just thick jungles that no one has been in. During our quiet rest at the paved road, I heard a sound of a person walking. Not just on the pavement or the restaurant area, but in the pacha on the other side of the road. I told myself that it's just a dog or a restaurant owner that wants to take a piss at 2 a.m. But deep inside I knew that the restaurants were towards a different direction and there were barely any stray dogs in this camp. The footsteps were just pacing around, wandering endlessly, in a very dense jungle. In most of the countries in SE, we have a tradition to not draw attention to supernatural things. So I asked my friend who was stationed at the front entrance, if he could hear anything he said no just to clarify I asked him again after the camp he said he could hear footsteps, but he thought it was the wind. The sound of someone stepping and walking through what sounded like knee-height grass, along with the sight of a dark, dense, spooky forest just sizzles my spine. I told my partner we should go for one last patrol and hand it over to the guys on the 3-5 a.m. shift. But honestly, I just wanted to get out of there. Sucks for the front entrance guards. The next day we had night training and the drill sergeants told us that sounds like horse galloping, digging, elephant footsteps, swords clashing and sharpening, and the pacha were to be ignored and never to be investigated. I never got closure on what that sound really was. I'll be there again in a few months though. Hope I don't find anything like this again.